0: Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I am editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention. Each month, I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner, and together, with the help of three journal articles of our guests choosing, we explore the narrative of their injury prevention careers. My guest today is Professor David Studdart. David is a leading expert in the fields of health law and empirical legal research. His scholarship explores how the legal system influences the health and well-being of populations. He has authored more than 150 articles and book chapters, and his work appears frequently in leading international medical law and health policy publications. David is currently with the Stanford Law School in a joint appointment as Professor of Medicine and Professor of Law. Before joining Stanford, David was on the faculty at the University of Melbourne and the Harvard School of Public Health he's also worked as a policy analyst at the rand corporation as a policy advisor to the minister of health in australia and as a practicing attorney hello david hi ron how are you david you began your tertiary education as i mentioned in melbourne australia in arts law i think it was you're currently a stanford professor in two completely different disciplines and you're an associate editor of the journal injury prevention Um, the first obvious question that strikes me is, is how did you get here? Was this a,
1: a planned career, a designed career, or, or one that happened by accident? This was not a planned career. Uh, there were many accidents along the way, uh, there were many junctures along the way, and uh, I sometimes am surprised myself where I finished up. Uh, I was a high school graduate who wasn't sure what he wanted to do, but uh, law seemed like the best option um, and my parents certainly thought that was a good idea uh, i was a restless law student uh, and was particularly interested in policy so when i had the opportunity as a young lawyer to work for a health minister i took it and i was very engaged both in in the policy side of that job um, uh, but also the health policy side of that job and decided that uh, of, of all the public policy areas that would that was the one that interested me most. So I headed to graduate school in the, in the United States, intending only to do a master's, but I stayed on in the summer after my master's degree and, and, and did research for a, a professor and fell in love with research, something that i would not really been exposed to in any depth in law school. So I sort of stuck with it. I in, enrolled in a doctoral program at the Harvard School of Public Health and uh, spent four years there. Uh, And by the end of that, I was sure that this is what I wanted to do with my career. uh, And I really haven't looked back since. Now, that explains how I became an academic and a researcher, but it doesn't really explain how I became an injury researcher. Uh, I sort of backed into injury research. Uh, I started working um, in health services research. Uh, I was interested, as you suggested, in the introduction of questions at the intersection of the legal system and the healthcare system. Uh, but the more i i i worked in the area the more interested i became in injuries as a as a discrete area so as i look back on my career now i i can see that there's some coherence to it but it certainly didn't feel like that as i was moving forward in time david there are so many
0: interesting lines in there that would be nice to follow but but the very opening one i used the word accident or designed when i when i started the introduction it, sort of relates to an ongoing debate in the injury prevention field as to whether accidents are preventable or whether there's a deterministic causal pathway that can be planned uh, and identified and and intervened upon in the context of preventing injuries, i.e. that injuries don't occur by chance alone. Your career almost um, mimics that discussion in the the notion that you were interested in policy, you were interested in a number of things that one could look at as causally related to your
1: current position, even if they weren't obvious at the time. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Rod, and I like the analogy. This is like in the uh, automobile world, whether crashes or accidents are the right way to refer to these uh, events. You know, I think that I was interested in a number of things that, that coalesced really well um, in, in sort of research as a career, but I myself didn't know that, and looking back, I feel that some of my mentors knew that better than I did. Um, and, you know, as I as I mentor um, uh, junior researchers now, um, I sometimes feel that I have that sort of perspective that they don't, which is that they have talents in certain areas that lend themselves very well to research. So, uh, again, I think it, it was... In in my consciousness, it was an accident, but I think there were other factors at work that perhaps made it a little more preordained than I realised at the time.
0: I, I think you come to injury prevention from a slightly different perspective to a lot of injury prevention workers, and, and drawing on some of that different perspective would be something that I'd be interested in pursuing. But do you think there might have been a particular paper in the early days of your development that might have affected the way you thought or at least allowed you to apply the way you thought to this new field?
1: Yes, I was very influenced by a paper when I was a master's student. Uh, It was a paper written by my primary mentor, the person I mentioned who I worked for as a research assistant prior to entering doctoral program, and the person who then became my uh, main doctoral supervisor, a man called Troy Brennan. Uh, who is a physician, lawyer, uh, who really was a health services researcher uh, and as a young health services researcher became involved in a study called the Harvard Medical Practice Study. This was a large study of medical injuries in the state of New York. uh, And what that study showed was that uh, medical injuries uh, in hospitals were much more common than people had anticipated. Uh, And we know today that medical injuries may well be the most common form of injury uh, there is. Uh, But it was not well known at the time. Um, Troy was a young investigator on that project, published a paper that's now I think been cited over 3,000 times in the New England Journal of Medicine. And at the time it made a big splash. I arrived on the scene several years after the publication of that paper. Um, I was taken by the grandeur and the ambition of the project the scale of the project. It was something that I'd never been exposed to before. Uh, And I was also interested in the fact that this was a physician lawyer uh, approaching a question in a new way. He was not a card carrying epidemiologist injury prevention person, um, but nonetheless had made a very important contribution to the field. Uh, And that influence extended into my doctoral work. Um, uh, My main thesis Papers were centered on a replication of the New York or Harvard Medical Practice Study uh, in the states of Utah and Colorado. So I spent three years working on a follow up study uh, that uh, replicated those methods and tried to see whether this was a uh, flawed or freakish finding, or in fact whether the results uh, were robust. And what we found was that the rates of injury in those mountain states were very similar to the rates of injury in New York, a completely different uh, environment. And now about 12 other countries have replicated this type of study and confirmed beyond a doubt that medical injury is a very serious and prevalent problem. Uh, and a type of injury that I think injury researchers until the 1990s had really not thought much about.
0: Injury is a, almost a catch-all, isn't it, for a number of different um, workforces who seem to be operating in slightly different domains within the general field of injury prevention. So your first paper uh, sets you off on on, on exploring a new new area of injury. You've subsequently published in that space and and you yourself have moved out into slightly different areas of injury prevention.
1: That's right. So uh, the doctoral work I mentioned a moment ago um, resulted in several publications, uh, probably the best known of which was a paper we published in Medical Care in 2000, uh, and this was a, a slight twist on the medical injury uh, investigation. What we did as researchers were abstracting charts and determining rates of medical injury in Utah, Colorado, we went out and collected malpractice claims data. Uh, they're, a, they're relatively small states, and we were able to get all of the claims that pertain to the, the sample year of the medical injury study. And what that allowed us to do was to look at the relationship between the incidence of medical injury and the propensity of injured patients to claim uh, compensation for their injury through the tort system. Uh, And what we showed was that this was a very lopsided relationship, Uh, lopsided in two ways. One is that many people who suffered medical injury did not, in fact, proceed to file a malpractice claim. And then um, conversely, there were a number of uh, many malpractice claims that were filed without any demonstrable underlying merit as far as injury goes. So um, one of the investigators on on the Harvard Medical Practice Study has likened the situation to a traffic cop standing at an intersection handing out tickets. He's handing out lots of tickets to people who aren't speeding and he's letting a lot of speeders go by. So this sort of dysfunctional relationship between the tort system and the incidence of medical injury was what that early paper focused on, uh, and to a large extent, it shaped my work for the next five to ten years.
0: David, that's a, a good point. Perhaps to ask another question, which I've been uh, puzzling over for a while, is the relationship between law and public health and injury. Um, there aren't too many legal public health practitioners in the space of, of injury prevention, and yet one would argue that a lot of injury prevention is around regulation and uh, enforcement. And uh, a lot of public health, even when you look at the primary, uh, how you create structures that are safe rather than unsafe, depend upon societal regulation to achieve that end. Why do you think there seems to be so few legal um, scholars operating in the injury prevention world?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Rod. I'm not exactly sure. I, I think legal scholarship traditionally has been a different model. It's been largely non-empirical and 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 doctrinal, in a sense. So the model of the artist in the garret uh, actually fits pretty well with the way law professors worked until the last 10 to 15 years. There is a new generation of legal scholarship that is intensely empirical. Um, In some ways, i preceded that by a little with my career, but um, today, the young assistant professors that we hire at our law school often have PhDs, and many of them are interested and and well-equipped to do uh, empirical work. So I think it's changed, but but primarily, um, legal scholarship has not sought to tackle population-based problems, um, but rather focused more intently on courts and decision-making and the development of doctrine. Um, I, I suppose, was a little ahead of my time in the sense that uh, I combined those two interests and it allowed me to come to a field like injury prevention and ask a set of questions that very few people were asking, like how does the regulatory environment in one state Affect accident rates relative to another state that has some different regime, um, or how does how do uh, victims of injury interact with the tort system in the study I was discussing a moment ago? So, it's it's fun to work at the intersection of those two bodies of scholarship, um, and it also means that I'm never without quest interesting questions to try to tackle because there's so much. So much low-hanging fruit, so many questions that, that sort of traditional injury researchers have moved by and and traditional legal scholars have not uh, been too interested in.
0: Yes, and as research becomes more and more um, in the translational space or the implementation space or the applied research space, then the questions that you're generating by just looking around you uh, have been recognised now as the really important questions, aren't they? Which, bring me to the next uh, and, and final paper you've suggested, which uh, you've been involved with, which is a strong signal of where you are in your career at the moment, is the handguns acquisitions in California after two mass shootings paper. This is in 2017, so it's very recent. Would you like to give us
1: a little bit of background to that one? Yeah, maybe I'll start by just telling you a little bit about why I started working in, in the firearms area. Uh, I've moved three times in my career uh, to completely different institutions, and each time I've made a promise to myself that I would start work in a brand new area. Uh, A move is a great time to do that, and the space one gets as as one starts at a new institution allows allows one to sort of think in that broad way. When I moved to Stanford in late 2013, I decided that, Firearm violence was an area that I wanted to start working in. Uh, it was already clear to me that I kind of, sort of, was an injury researcher at that point in time, and that that defined a large part of the work that I had done. Uh, I'd done some work um, on automobile accidents. I'd done a lot of work on medical injury, a little work on suicide. And as you move down the burden of injury types uh, in the United States, firearm violence is right up there. So this was a this was a challenge. It was also uh, uh, right around the time that um, uh, the fallout of, of of the Sandy Hook shootings was occurring, so, so this was a very topical issue. It was an area that had suffered from a lack of research, uh, and so I sort of jumped in with with, with both feet. Where I started was uh, with the recognition that California had a very unique data resource, and that is uh, a record of all handgun sales over the last 40 years in the state. So I, I kind of set my sights on, on acquiring this data set and, and getting to know it very well. Uh, and I've spent probably half of my research time over the last four years um, working with this data set. Uh, and really the first test run, if you like, that that I gave the data set was to look at what happened to handgun sales in the wake of mass shootings. We focused on uh, two very big ones, uh, the Sandy Hook shooting in Connecticut in 2012 and the San Bernardino shooting in California in 2015. Uh, And what we found was something that had been reported in in the popular press but not quantified And that is that there are very large spikes in handgun purchasing that occur after mass shootings. Um, Why that happens is not entirely clear, but it seems to be some combination of concern about security that the event provokes. And also concern about impending legislation that might make it more difficult to purchase guns in the future. Uh, so, So this was a great chance to use the data set. And uh, I, I included this paper in the set because it has really sort of set the tone for the work that I've been doing over the last few years. We are assembling a large cohort of handgun purchasers in California and following them over time to understand how their mortality rates compare to a group of controls. So really getting at the question of the risks and possibly benefits of firearm ownership and access uh, in the state of California.
0: You've mentioned uh, the ability that you've been able to create uh, or, or the value you've been able to create by comparing policies across states in the US and the impacts and the outcomes that can be measured in different states. You also measured the value that you have been able to gain from moving quite dramatically between systems, um, from East Coast US, Australia, West Coast US, and how that allows you to rethink and revisit and perhaps change your perspective or your direction or uh, explore new opportunities. One of my personal interests for the last little while has been to look at comparing and contrasting between systems. And given that uh, you need to be looking across very large distances and, and often internationally, in order to look at different effects of complex societal interventions. How do you think that the new empirical legal approach to injury prevention research uh, depends very much upon that large scale analysis rather than the traditional injury epidemiological association between a particular energy exchange and a particular outcome?
1: Yeah, right. I think that's been the really big transformation through my career, actually. I was discussing this with a graduate student this morning. Um, the paper that we began talking about, my study of adverse events and negligence claims in Utah and Colorado in 2000, we thought that we had conducted the biggest possible study one could conduct of malpractice because we had 14,000 records that had been reviewed. We had Um, several thousand injuries, and we had uh, about a thousand malpractice claims to look at. Um, It was a big study at that time. Today, that's a small study. (laughs) That's a very small study. Um, Our study of uh, firearm ownership in California has a cohort of about 20 million people. Now, that is large, um, but the field has really changed. Uh, What I see today, are doctoral students coming out much better able to handle these large data sets. Much better able to do the kind of cross-jurisdictional analyses that you're talking about. Um, Now, the old saw used to be that if one wanted to achieve that kind of scale, one had to trade off depth and and nuance and insight. I just don't think that's true today. Uh, There is so this explosion of data that we hear so much about has, I think, transformed the areas of injury research that I work in and, and transformed it for the better. Um, with, with that comes all sorts of concerns about privacy and about um, security, uh, appropriateness of, of research and so forth. But I think um, our ability to understand injury at the population level, to compare across legal regimes, to compare across sociocultural uh, environments, is, is just blossomed. And I think it, it, it pretends a very bright future for injury research.
0: That's a nice point to leave it, I think, uh, on the future of injury research. Thank you very much, David. Uh, your generous allocation of time to this conversation has been very much appreciated. And I'm sure not only by myself, but also by future people in that stage of their career when they're deciding whether to go left or right or, or, or straight ahead. So thank you, David. Um, We've been listening to Professor David Staddard from Stanford University, Professor of Medicine and Professor of Law, chatting to us about uh, his career and uh, raising some critically important issues. Thank you, David. Good to talk with you, Ron. David is an Associate Editor of the journal Injury Prevention. And for those of you interested in learning more about uh, the prevention of injury, I'd encourage you to look at the journal's website, injuryprevention.bmj.com